If you have a Bible with you, get to 1 Thessalonians. Uh, we are going to finish up this book. We've been in this book since the middle of September. We're going to be in verses 12 through 28. And I will tell you for me, uh, as I kind of lay out the teaching plan, work on that this summer, and then lay out the 12 months. 1 Thessalonians, I thought, boy, this is going to be good for the church, and here's the Here's why and all these different things, and it's been extremely providential, I believe, but it's also been an encouragement to me where it's not just good for you, but it's good for my own heart, and I will tell you that this has been a providentially timed book for me to preach through, and maybe years down the road, I'll tell you uh, some of the backstory of that, but the Lord's been faithful, and the Lord's used it to encourage me in, uh, in the ministry as well as encourage me in, the, in my walk with the Lord. I, hopefully, that that's been the case for you as well. Paul's at the end of his letter to a church that is dear to him, a church that is growing in the Lord, pursuing faithfulness, and his continue, continual call to them is to let their faithfulness abound, let it overflow. And so at the end of a letter, he's got a lot to say. He'll see them again, and yet it's not uh, like he can just fire off another email or make another video for them to see. It's a process to be able to write a letter, send it with somebody like Timothy, hear back, that's a process, and so as a result, at the, as he nears the end of this letter, he's got a lot to say. When our kids were growing up and before they'd head out the door, maybe it was to a friend's house or school or before uh, they'd take off on a drive, before they left, I'm pretty sure we had a variety of things we wanted to say to them, and so if you're a student in here, you understand this. It was things like this, hey, remember this, don't forget this, honor the Lord. Hey, nothing good or godly happens after midnight Watch out for deer. Be home by this time. Love you. We, we always try to remember that one too on top of all these other commands. I'm pretty sure that happened to me as a kid. Well, that kind of exchange is a good way to see the end of this letter. We're looking at 16 verses, and yet in those verses, it is chocked full of, as I finish this letter, remember this, do this, don't forget this. Paul doesn't necessarily go into great depth here in, in the time that we have, neither will I. And yet, if you want to talk about a practical chunk of truth to live out, it's here. And so my hope today is that you don't walk away with 15 things or 20 things. My hope is that the Spirit would speak to you one, two, three things that you are called to walk away with and apply and believe and live out as a way of life. And so I pray that as you hear the Word, that you would there'd be a couple things kind of jumping out to you that you wouldn't just be a hearer but a doer of it. And I encourage you to write these things as the Spirit speaks. So even though it may appear as such, this passage is not simply a random collection of exhortations. He's not just shooting buckshot at the church hoping something's going to land. He's writing to a collective church and as a, a church that will gather together to hear this letter being read. A church that will talk about its implications after it's read to their daily life. And so he's calling the church community to habits and actions that get, get lived out week to week and day to day. He's giving us a picture here of life in the community of faith. A community of faith that is, is to be a God-glorifying testimony to the community in which they live and do daily life in. Paul writes in verse 23 in this passage that the Lord would sanctify them completely. He's praying the Lord would grow them in holiness and Christ-likeness, both individually and as a unified church. And so as that inward spiritual growth takes place, it then has an outward visible testimony to the community. 
At Crosspoint, we talk about being disciple makers who show and tell. We want to be disciple makers who don't just tell of the gospel, but also show how the gospel is actually changing our lives. And we don't want to just show it, but we also want to use our words and speak the good news to those around us. Well, a lot of what Paul is talking about here, if a church gets this, it reveals our faith in Christ. It reveals the gospel. It shows of the gospel, not only to one another, but also to the world around us. The life in the community of faith, in the local church, that inward sanctification has an outward powerful witness. And so the common thread through all 16 verses is life in the church. And here are the subjects he deals with. Leadership in the church, habits in the church, habits that are lived out toward one another. Then he talks about habits that are lived out upward toward the Lord in worship to the Lord. He talks about prophecy in the church, prayer in the church. And then at the end, he says, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Because this is not 16 verses of law. This is 16 verses of commands and exhortations that we are called to live out by the grace of God, fueled by the grace of God. Not to earn our acceptance or earn his love, but because we are loved, because we are in Christ. The grace of God is the foundation upon which the community of faith is sanctified and made more like Jesus. God's grace is what should abound in the life of the church. So verses 12 and 13, giving exhortations or encouragements around the subject of leadership in the church. Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to give recognition to those who labor among you and lead you in the Lord and admonish you and to regard them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. He's talking here about elders, Shepherds, pastors, overseers, various different words in the New Testament all referring to the same office or role in the local church. On Timothy's trip back, he might have appointed elders for this church, or maybe Paul's writing to affirm the elders that were already established in the church. It's cliche, but it's true. Leadership matters. Leadership matters in the business world, in the political realm. Leadership matters in the church. Leadership matters in your home. Leadership matters. Leadership matters. Leadership is talked about a lot in the New Testament, and the biggest emphasis the New Testament gives is on the character of the leaders, their personal way of life in Christ, and their commitment to sound doctrine. Leadership matters, and at the same time, how a church responds to its leadership matters. He calls the church to give recognition in verse 12 meaning to not only know them, but honor them as legitimate shepherds in the church, hold them in the highest regard, and they are to be recognized for their leadership, not because of title, but because of, and he gives three phrases here, because of their leadership, or their labor, their leadership, and their admonishment. He says, labor among you. Leaders are recognized not because of title, but because of their consistent, faithful, week-to-week, day-to-day service unto the Lord. Work is essential in the ministry. The word translated as labor is referring to difficult, exhausting labor. And elders are called to labor, to work hard unto the Lord as worship unto Him among the flock for the good of the flock. They are also, as Paul writes, to lead you in the Lord. Think shepherd to sheep. Lead meaning protect, care for, comfort, feed. Lead away from sinful pastures and toward 
greener pastures. And shepherds seek to lead in a way that will benefit the church and the flock, not in a way that is self-serving, but rather self-sacrificing, because leadership isn't about you. It's not about me. This is the emphasis of New Testament leadership. It's not about you. It's all about Christ. It's all about the chief shepherd. So it's a self-serving shepherd, I'm sorry, a self-sacrificing shepherd, not a self-serving Another habit of elders, they admonish you, meaning correcting wrong doctrinal belief and pursuing the wandering or strange sheep, saying, no, 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 get away from that pasture. Get away from that dry and dusty and destructive pasture. Get away. Walk this way. Return to the fold. Return to the comfort, the safety, the assurance of the flock of God. Walk toward greener pastures. Repent. The tone is brotherly, but it's at the same time a big brotherly. The purpose is is cautioning and warning, but with the purpose that will lead to repentance. Repentance that will lead to joy and life and freedom. There is substance to leadership. You're not just filling a seat. You're not keeping a seat warm. You're sacrificing of yourself for the good and growth of the flock because it's not about you. It's all all about the chief shepherd. And the church is to regard them very highly in love because of their work. Again, not because of title, but because of labor, their leadership, and their love among the flock. The motivation to recognize them is not because of rank, but rather because of relationship, that they are among the church. Be at peace among yourselves, he writes. I'll tell you, one of the great ways to regard your leaders with love is to pursue peace with one another to forgive because he first forgave you, to love because he first loved us. That makes leadership in the church an absolute joy. Just like harmony in music is sweet to listen to, even more so is harmony among family members, whether it be the household of faith, your marriage, parent to child, your workplace, your ministry team. If you're a parent or an aunt and uncle, it might happen this week at a gathering, But when your kids were little, when our kids were little and we heard them getting along for a long stretch of time and you realize you've forgotten that they're even in the home, you're like, this is amazing. This is beautiful. And you you go in and you check. They're still alive. They're not killing each other. Someone's not coming out bleeding and crying. And it's beautiful, isn't it, when it's harmonious? I would tell you after 11 years of being a pastor, I had the exact same scenario that happens here among the family of God. I go, this is beautiful. This is beautiful how they're loving one another, how they're working through differences, how they're forgiving, how they're spurring one another on, how they're comforting one another, whether it be in your earthly household or the household of faith. It's beautiful. Paul's calling the community of the church not just to loyalty to leadership, but loyalty to one another. And then Paul goes into potential things that could disrupt the harmony of a church family. He's going to remind them, as brothers and sisters, you stand back to back to one another. The enemy is not one another. The enemy is not flesh and blood. The enemy is a real spiritual enemy who lies and divides. Verse 14 and 15, giving us habits to live out in the church inward toward one another. And we exhort you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle, 
comfort the discouraged, help the weak, and be patient with everyone. Exhort, meaning to tell someone they, what they must do, but without sharpness or a critical spirit. It carries with it a call to change, but, but not a condemning tone. It carries with it weight, but it's compelled by love. So I exhort you, brothers and sisters, he writes. So, so what he doesn't write is, so I exhort you, leaders. I exhort you, brothers and sisters, the church, because we have a mutual responsibility to live these habits out. So don't listen to these habits and go, well, I hope the elders are doing that. No, no, this is on you. This is on you, brother and sister, as well as on me, who is a fellow brother and sister. First one, warn those who are idle. Idle meaning unruly. I love the word, the use of the word idle, though, because it reminds us that often when we are not seeking first His kingdom and His righteousness, when we are idle and aimless, that's when we wander. That's when we get fixated on lesser things. Unruly, those who are out of order, out of step with the truth of the gospel, out of step with the Spirit. Galatians 5 gives us a list of the works of the flesh that would reveal that we're out of step with the Spirit. And he's saying, warn those. Don't be passive toward those. Don't pretend it's not there, but pursue them. Love them enough to engage them in conversation and relationship. Because listen, we would want the exact same thing for us. When we get out of step, if we're out of step now, when we have or in the future, we would want a brother or sister to love us enough to pursue us, to engage with us so that we would not continue to stray and wander, but we would walk back toward, in step, toward those greener pastures. Comfort the discouraged, meaning faint-hearted or timid, people who lack courage and are tempted to lose heart. Comfort them in a way that builds their strength in the Lord. Comfort and pour courage into them in a way that points them not to give up, but endure in a way that is inspired by hope in our risen uh, Savior. Help the weak. We're not exactly sure what he means by weak. It could easily apply to those who are physically weak or those of a weak conscience that Romans 14 would speak of. Help meaning that we actually lend physical help or maybe that we take interest in their weakness and avoid just favoritism toward the strong, but we take note of them. We don't ignore them and we act in a way that helps them. Be patient with everyone. That's easy. We don't have to talk about that, right? We've all walked the stage, shook the hand, got the diploma, graduated, masters in patience, right? We've all done that. Maybe not. The original language for everyone means, what's the joke? Everyone. It means everyone. That's the original language in the Greek, everyone. There's no loopholes on this one. Kids, there's no loopholes. Parents isn't a loophole. Parents, there's no loophole toward your kids, coworkers, brothers and sisters in the family of God, husband, wife, pick your relationship on the, in the life of the church or in our life. Be patient with everyone, including people you, you will interact with this Thursday or Friday or Saturday, your earthly family. We all wish there were loopholes, but there aren't. Because praise God, we were not caught in a loophole, but our Father has been patient with us and our, and our Father's patient toward those yet to trust in Him, not wanting anyone to perish. Patience is the ability to love and help difficult people. 
of which we are all difficult people to varying degrees. Amen? Point to someone who's difficult. No, don't do that. Hopefully you just point at yourself or just point at the guy on stage. That's fine. We walk graciously with one another when we reject irritability. We, he's walked through a variety of people, the idle, the, the discouraged, the weak, all of which are examples that challenge our patience. But how beautiful and God-glorifying it is when God's people pursue Christ-like patience with each other. Verse 15, see to it that no one repays evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good for one another and for all. The Thessalonians had themselves experienced persecution for their new faith in Christ. Jesus tells us in Matthew 5, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. The fleshly temptation that we all face when evil or injustice has been done to us or we see it done to others is we want to avenge it. We want to avenge it. Now, I have discovered that I really enjoy movies that are built on this premise. Wrongs being made right, right now, usually involving weapons. Movies that involve like Denzel Washington, Keanu Reeves, Liam Neeson. Stick them on a train, on a plane, on a car. I like it, okay? These are not family-friendly. I'm not making movie recommendations. This is why I'm not giving you movie titles because I don't want somebody to email me. You told me these are not family-friendly. Go to Plugged In Online, do your own movie research. But what I found is that I enjoy a good movie where good overcomes evil, where wrongs are being made right. It's great for the movies. It is terrible and ungodly for brothers and sisters in Christ. It is terrible, destructive, and ungodly. We follow in His footsteps when we look at the cross and His decision not to call down legions of angels to wipe out everyone who are mocking the Son of God on the cross. We choose the path of always pursue, always pursue what is good for one another and for all. We resist the temptation to be hurt people who walk around hurting people. We are healed people in Christ and we live and love accordingly. We walk in a new way. We reject the pattern of this world to take matters into our own hands. It's the pattern of this world. Jesus Christ upon that cross did not take matters into his own hands. We instead trust in a God who is providentially working upon that cross and who's providentially working now, all seeing, all knowing. The gospel message tells us that the day of the Lord, on the day of the Lord, every wrong will be made right. God is not a grandfather sleeping in the corner of the room, staring at the corner in his rocking chair. He's all-knowing, all-seeing. He's presently at work. So we don't have to take matters into our own hands. We are called to open up our hands and worship Him, surrender to Him, trust in Him, not avenge wrongs out of our own strength. Always pursue is a picture of striving. So this is not half-hearted attempts of indifference. Well, I tried to do good, but just never really got the opportunity. No, no, we intentionally strive and pursue to do good, both to those within the household of faith and those yet to be reached. We serve a God who enables us not to grow weary because He's given us His Spirit. Continuing to move on, now He's going to call us to habits in the church that are upward toward the Lord. 
Rejoice always, pray uh, constantly, and give thanks in everything, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Rejoice always. Choose joy in all seasons, high, low, not determined by circumstances. Verse 16 is not suggesting that we deny reality. Jesus did not deny the reality of the cross. In the Garden of Gethsemane, He was not denying reality. And so we grieve with those who grieve. We're not called to be fake Christians. We're called to be faithful Christians. And so we, re- we choose to rejoice in hope, as Romans 12, 12 calls us to. We choose not to be a groaning Christian who has lost sight of the resurrection. Charles Spurgeon said this, turn this book over, he's talking about the Bible, turn this book over and see if there is any precept that the Lord has given to you in which he has said, groan in the Lord always, and again I say, groan. He writes, "If you may groan if you like, you have Christian liberty for that. But at the same time, do believe that you have a, have a larger liberty to rejoice. Rejoice. Pray constantly, meaning persevere in prayer. Romans 12, 12, or pray and don't give up. Luke 18, 1. Let prayer be a continual flowing conversation with the Lord that ties and sews and weaves all our various parts of our days together. Every part of our day, small, large, insignificant and mundane or significant and monumental. These are all opportunities for us to pray to a father who cares about all of it. Remember, prayer for a believer is rooted in relationship. Jesus taught us to pray in Matthew 6, starting with our father who art in heaven. Our father, we come to him as a son or daughter. Throughout our days, brothers and sisters, we have a heavenly father who cares for us, who is with us. So let's talk to him as such. Give thanks in everything, in all seasons, give thanks. In 2020, give thanks. In 2021, give thanks. It's like how Paul talks about that we can learn contentment in Philippians 4. He says we can learn contentment whether things are in abundance or they're scarce, in plenty or in want. The same way with giving thanks. No matter what our circumstances are, we have much to be grateful for. And if we are in Christ, then Psalm 40 tells us that our salvation alone leads us to thanksgiving. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. These habits, rejoicing and praying and thanksgiving, they bring Him glory. They worship Him. These are not optional. This is not a menu to choose from, loved ones. This is God's plan for God's people. The next section, verses 19 through 22, deal with prophecy in the church. It says, don't stifle the spirit, don't despise prophecies, but test all things, hold on to what is good, stay away from every kind of evil. First of all, what's prophecy? Wayne Grudem in a systematic theology defines it this way, telling something that God has spontaneously brought to mind. The Lord has laid truth upon the heart or mind of a believer and they share it with another. It's the Lord speaking to and through his people. And Paul is saying we are to be open to God's will being revealed through fellow believers. Prophecy is not a person who's saying, thus saith the Lord, and then speaking anything but Scripture. So this is not the person who says, thus saith the Lord, I'm breaking out my pen and writing new Scripture to fit between Genesis and Revelation. 
This is not biblical prophecy. This is not adding to Scripture like, hey, I got uh, a book called First Dave. You should read it. It's got a lot of thoughts. It's not that. This is the Lord speaking His truth through His people with the purpose to strengthen, build, encourage, and comfort His people. That leads to the common good of the people of God. It's other-oriented rather than self-oriented. I'll give you one example of this happening in my life. This doesn't happen weekly in my life. It did happen earlier this fall on this stage prior to a service that someone uh, spoke, I, I would believe, a, a prophetic word to me because it, it strengthened, it encouraged, it comforted me in the time that I needed it. And it lined up with the truth of God's word. But nearly 14 years ago, I was sitting in a meeting uh, with leaders here at Crosspoint and at a storefront in Eureka and basically talking about all the reasons why I should not leave State Farm. All these reasons of, I don't know about this, I was just kind of whining and fussing about all these earthly reasons that would keep me from ultimately trusting in the Lord. And one brother around that table pointed me to Luke 9. And in Luke 9, which I get to preach on later this year, maybe it's in January, which I'm excited about, but in Luke 9, Jesus is calling out these disciples who are making excuses as to why they are not following Him. And then my friend he quoted verse 62 to me in Luke 9, which says, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. This is why I have a random farmer in my office holding on to a plow. My wife got that for me many years ago. It sits behind my desk as an uh, encouraging reminder to keep my hand to the plow. My friend was quoting Scripture, and at the same time, it was a prophetic word to me. It's difficult to describe, but it was so like, this is from the Lord. This is what I needed to hear in this time. Went home, talked to my wife that night, cried. It was, yep, this is it. And that was the night we point back to saying, this is the day that we surrendered, saying, we're not going to deal with earthly excuses. We're going to trust in the Lord. It was a prophetic word. And Paul's saying here to the Thessalonians and to us, don't stifle the Spirit, meaning don't extinguish the flame of the Holy Spirit. Don't throw a bucket of doubt on that and quench the flame that is intended to build up. And at the same time, as verse 21 says, test them. Run them through the filter of God's Word. Does it line up? Does it lead toward good and godliness or does it lead toward sin and self? Because I've talked to people before. I've heard from the Lord. And then what comes out of their mouth next is completely contrary to the Word of God. You didn't hear from the Lord. You heard from yourself or from the enemy. Does it line up with God's Word? After Paul was in Thessalonica planting this church, he also spent time in Berea. Any of you guys remember the Berean bookstore? Anybody? Okay, so the Bereans, they wore khakis and denim. And you went back to the back of their church and listened to the CD bar in the back with headphones. Okay, that joke landed about as well in the first service as this one. Awesome. The Bereans, they didn't wear khaki and braided belts. They just, they were a church in Acts 17. And they were known for their eagerness to examine the scriptures and compare what they were hearing to the word. They were testing, they were discerning the truth. And Paul's saying, don't despise the potential of prophecy, but do discern it. Don't despise it, but do discern it. Now Paul moves to prayer in the church and for the church. 
Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept sound and blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will do it. What a beautiful pair of verses there, similar to 1 Thessalonians 3, 11 through 13. Sanctify you completely, the whole person, the entire life, every sphere, the entire direction of your life growing toward godliness, the entire breath of your life under the loving authority of Jesus Christ. Nothing siloed, nothing separated off. And notice the bookends of these two verses. The God of peace will himself will sanctify you, and then at the end, he who calls you is faithful, he will do it. On the days when you feel like your spiritual growth is just cruising along, or on the days where you feel like it's completely stalled out, when you fall for the trap of sin and when you flee from it, in the midst of all of that, our faithful Lord is at work. You're not left alone. The Lord is with you. You have the Holy Spirit, and He who calls you is faithful, and He will do it. He has begun a good work. He will finish that good work. Listen to the progression of Romans 8.30. And those He predestined, He also called. And those He called, He also justified. And those He justified, He also glorified. Our faithful Lord will do it. Verses 25 through 27 then. Brothers and sisters, pray for us also. Greet all the brothers and sisters with a holy kiss. I charge you by the Lord that this letter be read to all the brothers and sisters. It is, he's just overemphasizing the reality that we are siblings in Christ, that we are family. This reminder, siblings are are called to show affection and honor toward one another. Siblings are to pray for one another, as well as not just locally, but big C church doing ministry work such as this. Siblings who cling to the inspired words written in letters such as 1 Thessalonians, who anchor themselves to this truth, truth that is intended to build up and strengthen them in the faith. And then this last sentence of the letter, verse 28, reminding us of grace, the foundation upon which this community has been brought together as well as this community is being changed and sanctified. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Grace. Nearly all of Paul's letters begin and end with grace. And so it is here as well. Predestined in grace, called by grace, justified by grace, sanctified by grace, and one sweet, sweet day glorified by grace. One commentary said this, whatever God has to say to us begins and ends with grace. All that God has been to man in Jesus Christ is summed up in it, all his gentleness and beauty all his tenderness and patience. All the holy passion of his love is gathered up in grace. What more could one soul wish for another than that the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you? This is not a list of law that we just work through. These are lists of commands and exhortations that we live out because we are in Christ, because we are loved, because we are accepted, because we have received grace. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. In the next couple minutes, I would love for you to, whether on a program that you have in front of you, in your Bible, in the margin, piece of paper, maybe simply just in your own thoughts, but respond as the Lord leads you. Pray. Was there one, two, three things that have stood out to you that you know you needed to hear 
Where's the Lord calling you to belief? Where's the, call, the Lord calling you to repentance? Is there a faith-filled action He's called you to this week? Whether online or in person, let's spend the next couple minutes praying in response to the Word. Now may the God of peace Himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept sound and blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will do it. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen.